sorts of things to read. Two that I want to bring to your attention. One is Christmas Eve. Don't forget we have two services up on the upper right in the little red box. Four and six, two candlelight services. If you've not been to one before, it fills up very, very quickly. And so this is one of the one of the very few times throughout the year where you can say to your um, your friends and neighbors, if you're looking for a place to worship, we'd love to have you come to our church. You will be surprised how many of them will come for a candlelight service. Just so you know, the place is absolutely packed. This place is packed. North X is packed. Commons is packed. We have a thousand people on Christmas Eve, literally. 1,000 to 1,100. So uh, it's one of the times you can invite your friends and they will listen. On the upper left side, the green box, uh, in order to facilitate 1,000 to 1,100 people, we need help. All you new members, <clears throat> we need help. Ushers, greeters, to do everything from the offering to communion to seating people to hand like, hand, handing out candles so we don't burn the place down. All of that requires a lot of, uh, a lot of care. And so if you've never done it, call. Call the office, talk to whoever's there, and let's sign up and get you there. And it'll be fun to, you'll enjoy the whole process. It's a great night, just a great night. Okay, we're going to stop and pray for some people. You know, it feels to me like that needs come in in groups. And we have a large group of people. I'm going to read to you some of these names that we're going to pray for. But be aware that there are many others that I wish I could tell you about, but I can't. And then there's, I'm sure there's some that I don't even know about. Um, last week, Heather Wood found out that she's fighting cancer. It's an honor to pray for you. We're sorry. But as I told the Lord... You can teach her, stretch her faith all you want, but hands off. She belongs to us. Dan Altorfer, we prayed for Dan last week. He is at home with hospice. The cardiologists have said that his heart is just, there's nothing more they can do. His heart is just getting old. As he told several of us, he could live for two uh, minutes or two years. He doesn't really know. But I know he's very sick. He needs our prayers. Priscilla Flanders, who was here in the first service, um, they discovered cancer on her nose. So she has a big bandage on her nose. They had to take it all out. And um, she said, oh, you don't need to pray for me. It's, it's just cancer. Really? Yeah, it's just cancer. John Hardy was here the first service. If you see John, um, his whole right ear, they found cancer in his ear. And they've been widening it out and taking out cancer. Uh, my own wife, Nancy, was in the emergency room Thursday morning in ICU for uh, two days with um, acute pneumonia. She's home resting on oxygen right now. Uh, almost out of the woods. Almost is the key word. Vicki Cox's daughter-in-law, TJ, um, and her husband, Jeff, that's her son. They just moved and she's not doing well. Um, in fact, she's been in and out of the hospital you all know, if you've looked in the news, we just lost a local firefighter, uh, first responder. These are, these are our people, aren't they? These are the people we live with. These are the people that we go to church with, many of them we see in grocery stores. These are the people of our community. 
Like I said, there are many more that I, I'm not at liberty to share, share their names with you. Um, it's just right now, it's a tough time. It's a tough time. And that's not even counting for all the people that, as we get closer to Christmas, for whatever, we're, uh, for whatever reason, they're discouraged. So let's just stop and let's just remember the people that we love. Father, we rattled off these names. Um, those are the ones that we could talk about publicly. There's ones that we can't talk about. And there's ones, Lord, that we don't even know about. But you do. But you do. Marriages that are struggling. People that are depressed. Um, God, this is the time of year when we have the best news in the universe. We have the news of how wonderful you are and how much you love us. Lord, we lift up these people and we pray for healing. You are the great healer, the great physician. We pray for them, Lord. Um, we need them. Please take good care of them. And please, please keep them with us. Pray for the families that have lost loved ones. I think of the first responder. I don't even know him, but yet he's part of our community. And maybe others. We pray for uh, your spirit would be very strong to show them grace during this time of great grief. Thank you for being a God that we can approach, a God that we can talk to, a God that we can trust because you are real. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. We're not afraid or ashamed to call him our savior. In fact, we're honored to be called your children. Amen. The noise and bustle began earlier than usual in the village. As night gave way to dawn, people were already on the streets. Vendors were positioning themselves on the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. Store owners were unlocking the doors to their shops. Children were awakened by the excited barking of the street dogs and the complaints of donkeys pulling carts. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier than most in the town. After all, the inn was full. All the beds were taken. Every available mat or blanket had been put to use. Soon all the customers would be stirring and there would be a lot of work to do. One's imagination is kindled thinking about the conversation of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone ask about their welfare? Did anyone comment on the pregnancy of the girl and the donkey? Well, perhaps. Perhaps someone raised the subject, but at best it was raised, not discussed. There was nothing that novel about them. They were possibly one of several families turned away that night. Besides, who had time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air? Augustus did the economy of Bethlehem a favor when he decreed that a census should be taken. Who could remember when such commerce had hit the village? No, it was doubtful that anyone mentioned their couples arrived or wondered about the condition of the girl. They're too busy. The day was upon them. The day's bread had to be made. The morning's chores had to be done. There was too much to do to imagine that the impossible had occurred. God entered the world as a baby. Yet there was, uh, yet were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks. Not surprising, all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard. 
the hay scarce, cobwebs cling to the ceiling, a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. We're in the second Sunday of Advent, discussing the appearing of Christ and looking forward to the next time. You heard Luke chapter 2 read. That's a part of the story. And there are surprises in the story. As I said last week, we allow the children to, to pick the theme during Advent. And their theme was a surprise, which I think is fantastic. We could go anywhere in the Bible and call it a surprise. The Bible is so full of surprises everywhere you turn. So you heard it read, and here's some of the surprises. Number one, the shepherds who were not allowed to give legal testimony. Remember, they were the despised. I said last week in Luke 2 that Luke starts off the chapter by naming Caesar Augustus. as the only place in the Bible where any of the Caesars are mentioned by name. He did that on purpose to provide a contrast between Caesar and the shepherds. The shepherds were some of the most despised people in the first century world. They were not allowed to give legal testimony, and yet... Um, They were the first to witness the advent of Jesus. God relied on the shepherds to do that. They were excited. They kept talking among themselves. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. There's two things in that verse that stand out. One is the shepherds said to one another, you know, when you, when you, many of you don't have the privilege of being able to read it in its original language, but the tense there is they were talking continuously. They couldn't stop. But you can imagine that. You had just seen an angel, a host of thousands and thousands of the army of God on the dark hillside, brilliant light. You would be like that too. They couldn't stop talking about it. We got to go see. The second thing is that they did, they went not in order to believe. They went because they already believed. See the last line? Let's go see the thing which the Lord has told us about. They had heard. So that's a surprise that God chose shepherds who were not even allowed to give legal testimony as the first witnesses to this incredible miracle. Surprise number two. They found the child lying in a manger. That's a feeding trough. That's a feeding trough. Okay? How many of you would like your children to be born in a feeding trough? Probably not many of you. And um, this the third surprise. Let me say it this way. I told the children's ministry, you tell me what to talk about, and I'll talk about it. And so they wanted to talk about, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because we've got to go over the clues first. We give you clues. What is this? What's that? What's this? Donkey? It's okay to say it. An ass? Yeah, right, it's an ass. I'm with you on that one. Okay, what are these? Come on, say it again. Okay, your guys are smarter than you look. Those are the clues this week. Last week we talked about the announcers, the shepherds and the angel. We had the trumpet and all that over there. This time we're talking about the animals. Okay, the children picked this. I didn't. And guess what? Third surprise. There's no animals mentioned in the Christmas story. 
Normally, as a pastor, it's easy. I open up the passage, study it, and away we go. But we had to do a little bit of creative theology this time because there aren't any animals mentioned in the Christmas story. So if there aren't any animals mentioned in the Christmas story, where do we get the idea that animals surrounded the baby in the feeding trough? I mean, in almost we don't happen to have them this year, but in almost every nativity set, there's animals. They're pretty standard animals. I was just over, as I told you, at the ICU at the hospital, and they have a little nativity set out front, and they have the standard animals. So it got me thinking, where do they come from? Where did these animals come from? Why they were there? Well, first of all, he, he's laying in a feeding trough for animals. So the chances are very good that there are animals there. As far as we can tell, it goes back to St. Francis of Assisi. At least he's the first one to get credit for it. You see, in Catholic theology, he was a patron saint of animals, and he was the first one to push for care of animals and even protection of animals. Uh, he was the very first one that we know of to do that. And so he reasoned that there must have been animals there. And so let's create a live nativity set. He may have been the very first one, and he brought in animals. Why did he choose the animals that he chose? There's the surprise. Because he very carefully chose certain animals. You notice there's no elephant. For example, no lion. Chose very specific animals, and this becomes very important. So let's start with a question. Why aren't animals mentioned? When I look in the scriptures, I've been trained to do this, and I love doing it. I look at what is said, but I also look at what is not said. Those are two vimins that I ask myself regularly in study. Why did they say it this way? Why did they not say it this way? Why does one author say this and the other author skips it? Because those are all important tools in understanding the message. So, why aren't the animals mentioned? I think it's because they wanted to focus on one thing. The coming Messiah. That's what they wanted to see. They give us a clue. Feeding trough. There's a clue, but at the same time, the spotlight is on the Messiah. Um, but don't be fooled. Uh, I found out that animals are very important in the biblical story all the way through and in the culture of that day. So we're going to walk through some of these animals. Let's start with a donkey. Okay? Donkeys in almost every nativity set. Why a donkey? In the Bible, the donkey is the beast of burden. Its main function was as a vehicle for both the rich and the poor. That's what the donkey did. But the donkey represented far more than that. You see, all throughout the ancient Near East, including Israel and the surrounding nations, riding a donkey into the city was an act of kingship, royalty. Look, for example, with me in 1 Kings chapter 1. This is David talking, and he's old now, and he's appointing his son Solomon to be the next king. Take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule or donkey and take him to Gihon. There have Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you who are to go up with him uh, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. What did he write on? A donkey. That was very common in the ancient Near East. They actually went a little bit further. Many of the surrounding nations believed that the gods actually rode the donkeys. That's how they symbolized their authority, their reign, if you will. So imagine in this particular context, 
okay? Um, in the first century world, where riding on a donkey was a symbol of kingship, imagine the statement that Jesus was making when he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9 prophesied about this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt. Well, both Matthew and John quote this when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's all I'm going to tell you because you have to wait till Lent to get the rest of the story. But can you see the surprise, the impact of riding on a donkey? I love what the kids have me do. Last year it was on the five senses. What does Christmas taste like, smell like? Remember that? And it's like, wow, I got to figure that one out. And this time it was like animals. Oh, that's easy. We'll just go to the story. There's no animals mentioned. Okay, we got to figure this out. And so donkeys played a very big part in the ancient Near East. And there's also a theological statement about our Jesus being the true God because the gods didn't ride donkeys. Jesus did. So he made this statement. He doesn't come riding on a war horse. He's symbolizing peace. That's why he brings a donkey. He's not looking for war. Riding a donkey does not show him to be a poor or a common man, but a king. So tradition says that Mary came riding on a donkey, but the Bible never says this. Makes sense. She had to get there some way, and she's pregnant. It was a beast of burden. That was one of the primary ways in the cities of transportation. So it made sense that she would ride on a donkey, but the Bible doesn't say it. So it makes sense that church tradition would picture Mary and Jesus, because she's pregnant, Mary and Jesus coming to his birth on a donkey because loyalty and peace in the ancient world. What about the ox? Well, in the Bible, the ox symbolizes pride and strength. In fact, when Isaac blesses Joseph, he uses the bull ox to prophesy about Joseph's strength. Deuteronomy 33. He's in his majesty, in majesty, this is Isaac blessing Joseph. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them, he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. So he's talking about Joseph's strength. He's a very strong and his lineage will produce strength. And he uses the ox, the bull ox, to symbolize that. The bull also came to be associated with the fertility and ser- with fertility and served as the emblem of the Canaanite god Baal. You know, some things, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. Think about the use of the bull in our culture. How many of you are old enough to remember the Schlitz malt liquor bull? Okay. Do we prefer a bear market or a bull market? Okay. So the bull in our own culture still symbolizes prosperity, all of that. These emblems are symbols are long in the making. Very, very ancient. The God of Jacob. This is interesting in Genesis 49. But his bow, talking about God, remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. Now, the mighty one of Jacob is actually, if you translate it, the mighty bull of Jacob. Here God is called a mighty bull ox. 
right here. Translators probably used mighty one because they don't want to connect the dots too closely with the Canaanite worship of bulls. Uh, but this is the language of he's a bull. God is a bull. That's strong. That's a strong God. Throughout the Bible, strength, as pictured by the ox, when yielded to God, is glorious. In contrast, without God, is pictured as arrogance. Which we learned something there. I've long thought this way. When you see somebody that's weak, uh, they demonstrate some kind of weakness, arrogance, dominance, whatever. A weakness is a strength that's gone one step too far. So strength, for example, becomes arrogance. Leadership becomes dominance. So when I'm sitting with people and I'm and I'm sensing, I'm feeling that uncomfortableness that what we would think of as weakness i ask myself the question often what would happen if they just backed down one notch what would the strength be underlying that weakness and that tells me what's kind of going on inside of a person and so this is the case with this the bible pictures that these are glorious under god's control or arrogance the ox plows it pulls wagons it threshes grain it was one of the spoils of war when you went in and took over a village and you won uh they wanted the ox the ox were they did a lot of work for you and they're worth a lot they're worth a lot so they grabbed the ox it's one of the spoils of war. Bulls are found all throughout the temples of the ancient Near East. All the nations around Israel uh, in, in archaeology when we discover things. All throughout to symbolize power and the strength of the gods. The gods were believed to own bulls. In fact, in many of the religions, when they hear thunder, they thought perhaps it was an, an, a bull ox stomping its foot. And the hot wind coming off the desert may have been the, 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 a bull snorting. The hot wind coming from a bull. That's how they thought about it. So it makes sense that church tradition would choose a bull to be present in the manger because it symbolized strength, symbolized power. That's what it did. How about the camel? Talk about the camel for a moment. The camel was a traditional animal that the wise men or the magi rode from the east to pay homage to the young child Jesus. They were the first to recognize him as king and treat him with royalty. They they would have had to travel a long distance through the desert. Camel came to symbolize endurance because it could travel long distances with very little water. So it came to symbolize endurance. The camel would later be needed, according to church history, to take the gospel out to the surrounding nations, especially when they had to cross deserts. The camel would become important for that. When the Midianites came up against Israel, the number of cam uh, camels frightened them. Look in Judges chapter 6. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. It's interesting that that's the, the one category he lists to show how frightened they were. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, in Midian so impoverished, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. So when the Midianites came up against Israel, the number of camels frightened them. That told them how powerful they were. They had the wealth and the resources to fight this, and they had all everything that they needed. Then you have the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon, 1 Kings 10. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with the hard questions, arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels. Camels carrying spices, large qualities of gold, quantities of gold, precious stones. She came to Solomon and talked to him about all that she had on her mind. So her wealth is partly based on the number of camels that she had. That's one of the ways they could 
attributes in the ancient world how wealthy you were. Did you even have camels? Did you have one? Did you have 30? Did you have 100? That's something to do with wealth. So it makes sense that church tradition would choose a camel to be present at the manger because it symbolized endurance. Okay, then my favorite, the sheep. Sheep are most frequently mentioned animal in the Bible 400 times. They were raised for both food, milk and meat, as well as wool. They could survive with minimal water and grass. As such, they were critical to Israel's survival. We have lots of shepherds mentioned. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David, Amos, Rebekah, daughters of Jethro. These are all shepherds and many more. The sheep were totally dependent on the shepherds for protection, grazing, watering, shelter, tending to injuries. They were not fenced in. In fact, they couldn't survive without a shepherd. The sheep couldn't. They are one of the earliest domesticated animals. They were very dependent creatures, very prone to wandering, and very unintelligent. <laughs> Sheep. Let me say that again. They were very dependent creatures, <laughs> prone to wandering, and very unintelligent. What a metaphor. <laughs> Several of you raising your hands, I see it. What a metaphor. Isn't that great? Isn't that, yeah, you too, Dan. <laughs> I see you over there. <laughs> the helplessness of a sheep underlies the biblical imagery of a good shepherd. You all know Psalm 23. Look at the first four verses. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, pause. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leaves me beside quiet waters. He does that. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of my favorite portraits, paintings, I should say, is a picture, you're looking, some of you have heard me describe it, green grass with a blue stream flowing through it, and then you come up on a little bit higher rise, and there's all these sheep standing there, two shepherds with their crooks, one shepherd's holding a lamb with a broken leg, and the sheep are just on the grass, chewing. And then you step back a little bit further up, and you realize you're in a canyon, and on the canyon walls are the wolves, dancing back and forth, salivating, dancing back and forth. The shepherds are looking out. They're not looking at the sheep. They're watching for the dangers. It's a great metaphor for leaders in the church. Pastors, elders, that's what we do. We pay attention to the culture. We're always discussing cultural issues that might impact us as a church. We're discussing how to have great relationships with these people out here. We're focused out so that you can rest. That's our goal, so that you can rest. Isn't that a great picture of what a shepherd is? I mean, I kind of had fun with the lower intelligence, but it's a great metaphor of dependence, isn't it? It is. I love John. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. You see, when Jesus walks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus himself became a sheep, dependent, dependent on the Father. It would make sense that church tradition would choose a lamb to be present in the manger because sheep came to symbolize both dependence and purity. All right. So these four animals, which are present in almost all nativity scenes, they lay a very solid theological foundation for our understanding of the Messiah. The donkey symbolized royalty and peace. The ox symbolized strength and power. The camel symbolized endurance. And the sheep symbolized dependence and purity. What a surprise that God sent his son in a feeding trough surrounded by animals. All of a sudden, when I did this, I realized when the psalm says, all of creation is shouting the glory of God, is more than trees and mountains. That's what we see. Animals do the same. So it was, it's not a surprise that he would use that, especially when contrasted with the great Roman Empire, where when a Caesar had a son, they would blow the trumpets and shout it all over the city. The heir had been born. And yet, when our God came, he was in a lowly feeding trough, surrounded by animals. This is what is meant by Emmanuel, God with us. Now, God has a, a very consistent way of choosing symbols that are very common in our lives to help us remember him. For example, we're going to celebrate communion in just a minute. He chose wine and food, bread and wine, the very staples of everyday life to remind us of how much he loves us, didn't he? Well, it's not a surprise that he would choose animals because they're around us all the time. All the time. All of God's creation shouts his glory. Father, thank you for just for your goodness. Thank you for our children who once again opened up another part of scripture that I might not have looked at. But they did. Thank you for being a God that we trust, a God who is strong and powerful, pure. Thank you for being that kind of God that we can come to. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering. Um, like I say every Sunday, thanks for being generous. You're a great church. baby boy who's come to earth to bring us joy. I just want to sing this song to him. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. With every breath I'm singing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ah uh...
Hallelujah. 